Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The 11th Circuit is weighing in on Mark Meadows' bid to try and get his case removed from Fonnie Willis's jurisdiction, her home court in Georgia, to federal court. And they are on an expedited briefing uh, schedule that we're going to talk about here in a duet with my uh, legal AF co-anchor, Michael Popak. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit where we are and and how we got to where we are today. So if you remember, Mark Meadows moved to, wanted to remove his case to federal court under 28 USC 1442. Uh, and 1455, which basically sets forth the procedure on how you get your case moved from state court to federal court. And that requires three things. You have to be a federal officer, you have to be working under the authority of your job description, and you have to have a plausible federal defense. And it's the defendant's burden. So it was Mark Meadows' burden to get his case and to show that he had uh, that he had those three elements and that he met those three elements. There was a hearing before Judge Jones. The hearing was held on August 28th, and Meadows testified. And he uh, he tried to say that everything was under his job description as the chief of staff. Remember, he was the chief of staff for Donald Trump at the end, maybe for eight months. And he said, you know, look, my job description, there's nothing that the chief of staff doesn't do. So everything was in my job description. The just the law here and when a court will assert federal jurisdiction uh, is there's a strong policy against federal interference because of federalism. But there is this carve out in the law with those three elements. And what Judge Jones said was, okay, are you a federal officer? Do you meet number one, Mark Meadows? Yes, the state conceded that too, by the way. Fonnie Willis says, yeah, of course he was a federal officer. Number two, was it relating to any act under the color of such office? And what Judge Jones ruled was the scope of this is a mixed question of fact and law. It's an analysis that has to be done where you apply the facts to the law. So first you have to define what the acts were, ascertain the the scope of the federal role, and analyze whether Mark Meadows showed that the acts in the indictment were for that federal job, were under the role of chief of staff, and then number three, whether there was a plausible color federal defense. So basically what Judge Jones says, look, if the facts show that at times you operated under the scope of your job and at times you didn't, that won't, that's not enough to give you federal jurisdiction if you're only being prosecuted for those specific acts uh, that were related uh, to your office. So look at the charged conduct and whether that relates to the color of your federal office. And, and what does that mean in the context of RICO and RICO conspiracy? We've done many hot takes on this and, and uh, Popak has, has discussed this in great detail, but it basically means talk about the heart of the claims, right? The gravamon or the heart of the claims and what really is the heart of the 
claims here. And here, Judge Jones says that the act or the heart of the claims is RICO conspiracy. It's RICO, right? It's not any specific overt act. It's not any one thing. It's it's the conspiracy to join this enterprise to try and steal the election. And where where Judge Jones really was uh, struggling based on Meadows's testimony was what's his job description, right? What's in the color of your office? Because he had to determine whether it was necessary uh, within your job description. And and Meadows basically said everything except stumping on the campaign on the campaign trail for Trump is in my job description. I set up phone calls, I set up meetings, you know. But so Judge Jones basically says I can't really credit your job description because you refuse to say what's in the outer bounds of your job uh, description. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply the Hatch Act, which is a, a, a law, a civil law that says uh, basically it prohibits an employee, a federal employee from using his official authority to influence for the purpose of affecting the result of an election or participating in political activity. Sound familiar for the purpose of affecting the result of an election? Uh, so the court basically said that, uh, that have found that the job doesn't include working for the Trump campaign. That's fairly clearly what the Hatch Act would not permit. So the chief of staff's role does not permit working for the campaign. And Judge Jones ultimately ruled that Meadows did not meet even the quite very low, he said quite low threshold for removal. Uh, he, he said that of the eight overt acts that, that you were charged with, uh, only one occurred within your job description, Mark Meadows. That's when you sent a text message to the um, U.S. House of Representatives uh, um, member, Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, where you asked for a phone number for the Pennsylvania legislators. And because you said the president wanted to chat with them, he says, I'll give you that. That was within your job description, but everything else was political. He also found there was no federal defense. Within minutes, essentially, uh, very quickly, shortly after response uh, to this decision, Meadows filed an emergency motion for a stay pending appeal where he wanted to basically press pause on this order, rejecting removal to federal court. He filed this under Civil Rule 62 and Local Rule 7.2. To B, where he asked the court to stay the effect of this remand order because what happens, Judge Jones says, I don't have jurisdiction, so I'm remanding this back down to state court to Judge McAfee. But he's saying, can you please, uh, can you please stay this because I'm going to seek an expedited review in the Court of Appeals in the 11th Circuit, and I have the right to appeal, which everyone agrees that that both sides have the right to appeal, and a stay of the remand order will help prevent this case from, and the quote in there was, was will help it um, will help prevent the case from becoming a quote shuttlecock back and forth between state and federal court. So I thought that was interesting. They were citing a case there, but but basically they're saying let's not bat this back back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just stay it while we go through our appeals, and don't have it go down to have it remanded back to. Uh, to state court. So he's saying that he wants this stay, Meadows wants this stay to prevent what he's calling an irreparable loss. So um, given the emergency or the urgency of the matter, he said he's going to ask the 11th Circuit to pause this order unless Judge Jones grants his request for a stay 
beforehand. So he's basically saying, Judge Jones, I'm giving you a chance to stay it. If not, I'm going to ask the 11th Circuit to stay it. But what I really don't want is for uh, what I really don't want is for this case to go back down to Georgia for uh, the case to proceed. And right now, the case, all, all the defendants are joined together. So they haven't been severed. And two of the defendants who demanded a speedy trial have uh, their trial is set for October 23rd. So he's saying that's what his irreparable harm is. He says he meets the elements of an emergency stay, that there is a substantial case on the merits, meaning that, you know, Judge Jones, you yourself said this is a novel question of law. So I think that I have a decent chance of winning and I will be irreparably harmed because I could be prosecuted and incarcerated if this, if this happens and the state won't be prejudiced either. And this will be in the public interest. I was about to do a hot take on this and update everybody on where we are. And within seconds, what happens at the 11th Circuit, Popak? I'm so excited to say that this episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. I can say from experience, Eight Sleep is truly a life-changing product. My old mattress was old school and would overheat while my husband and I were in it together, making for a terrible night's sleep. If you're a woman of a certain age, like me, you know there's nothing worse than tossing, turning, overheating, or freezing all night because you have trouble regulating your body temperature. The pod cover by Eight Sleep will keep you cool at night, all the way down to 55 degrees Fahrenheit so you can wake up fully refreshed or warm up with just the touch of a dial on your mobile device. The pod cover by Eight Sleep fits on any bed just like a fitted sheet or a mattress topper. It will improve your sleep by automatically adjusting the temperature on each side of the bed based on you and your partner's individual preferences and needs. It can cool down and warm up and adjust based on the phases of your sleep and the environment you are in. I love Eight Sleep because we spend almost half our lives in bed. Improving our sleep routine habits and overall sleep quality will make all the difference in your day. I love the temperature control and both me and my husband can set each of our sides to each of our likings. I also love the gentle vibrating alarm I set each morning to wake up. I wake up feeling refreshed after a great night's sleep, allowing me to start the day off right. Eight Sleep's technology is incredible, and while the temperature for me is the biggest cha game changer, the pod cover has other amazing features that my husband loves. For example, thanks to the pod sleep and health tracking, you can wake up to a personalized sleep report for you each morning that offers insights into how certain behaviors like late night exercise or caffeine impact your sleep and overall health. It also tells you how much sleep you got, whether the quality of your sleep, etc. The pod cover by Eight Sleep truly provides the ultimate sleep experience, and I've never experienced sleep like this before. The temperature regulation technology has truly been a lifesaver for me. So if you're a woman of a certain age like me and you know who you are, invest in the rest you deserve with the Eight Sleep pod. Go to eightsleep.com slash legal AF and save $150 on the pod cover. That's the best offer you'll find, but you must visit eightsleep.com slash legal AF for $150 off. So Get the Eight Sleep pod cover now with shipping within the US, Canada, and the UK, and select countries in the European Union and Australia. That's E I G H T S L E E P dot com slash legal A F and save $150. We've got an 11th Circuit that appears to be interested in an arcane area of removal, federal officer removal. As you said, Karen, the reason we're even talking about an appeal is because um, you, normally 
a federal judge's decision whether to have a case come from state over to federal court is not appealable. Um, it is unless it's under the unique federal officer removal provision, and then you do get an appeal. That's why we're even talking about an Eleventh Circuit appeal. I thought Judge Jones, as you laid out, did a very good job of arguing why, even under Eleventh Circuit and Supreme Court precedent, Mark Meadows is not entitled to have his case removed to take his his the trial of his case and all the pretrial activities. Be presided over by a federal judge, not not Judge McAfee in Fulton County. Again, for those that are new to our hot takes and new to Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network, it doesn't shed Fonnie Willis as the Fulton County prosecutor. It doesn't shed the Georgia law. It doesn't shed the indictment under Georgia law. It's all Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. It's just in another courthouse presided over a federal judge, even if Mark Meadows wins. The reason he's doing it couple of reasons. Delay, although it's not going to be delayed based on how fast the 11th Circuit is requiring briefing on a new issue, which is in two days. Um, he wants a different jury pool. It's a slightly broader group of people that would be part of the jury pool in federal court than in state court. And he wants a, a fast track to federal appellate courts like the 11th Circuit and the U.S. Supreme Court and not be in Fulton County. And plus, Fulton County is moving, that that meat grinder is moving at a velocity of which I'm not familiar, even though I practiced in rocket dockets. It is moving quickly. People are being People's try two of the 19's trial is in six weeks, and so he's wor he's worried about all of that and wants a little more deliberative, sobering process over at federal court. However, the one issue that Judge Jones did not address, in fact, I haven't seen addressed by any federal judge of late, on the issue of federal officer removal entitlement, including. We just went through this over the summer. It's hard to believe it was the top of the summer. But in May, you, me, and Ben, while well, we two of us were on holiday, we, we jumped in for a, a hot take and a, on a podcast to talk about Trump's attempt to remove his state court prosecution in New York from your old office. And Judge Hellerstein, a federal judge, went through a similar analysis uh, there and ruled that Trump wasn't entitled, not because he wasn't a federal officer, but because hush money cover-up of your former mistress or sex act person is not um, a, a, a federal colorable uh, part of your office. It's not part of your job description. But he never talked about the issue that seems to be of concern to the 11th Circuit, which is where we are, where we're at now in this hot take. The, the 11th Circuit, we don't know the panel yet. It, it always is a three-judge panel. It's randomly assigned. Could be the chief judge, William Pryor, who presided over things related to Judge Cannon down in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, or it may not be. We'll see who the three-judge panel is. But, but in advance, the panel, without revealing their identity, because they don't want that to um, uh, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, impact or influence one way or the other what people write in their papers, has had the clerk issue a request no, a, a command that both sides need to brief this following issue, an issue that never came up at all by anybody, including Judge Jones, when he wrote his order denying the removal for, for Mark Meadows, which is, hey, everybody, does the federal statute on federal officer removal apply to a former federal officer? Because we all agree Mark Meadows is no longer a federal officer. And, and we want you to comment on the language of the of the particular statute 
and what it says. Now, if you go to the language of that particular statute, it is written, the federal officer removal statute is written in the present tense. It says a federal officer has the right to seek removal of a case. It doesn't, it's not written as former, prior, or while he committed the thing alleged, he was or she was an officer. It says officer. I never really focused on the grammar of it, but look, judges do. The grammar of something, the language that's chosen, the specific words that are chosen by the framers and the and the, and the uh, uh, Congress in this in this manner is important. And so, when you look at that particular language, and we'll we'll get it up on the screen, you see that in the eleventh in the uh, in this fourteen forty two a language, it talks about officer. They want the the parties to talk about the other removal that's right below it that talks about when an alien person not from this country has the right to, uh, or a person who's been sued by an alien has the right to take that case to federal court. And there, Congress used language that suggests that, or, or, or requires that the person be a certain status at the moment of the removal, but didn't use that same language in talking about the officer, but used the present tense of officer. So they, they wanna know, does it matter that Mark Meadows was not an officer when he filed his motion or notice for removal just a couple of weeks ago, because he's been out of that office since January of uh, you know of, of last year. And so that's interesting. I don't think it bodes well for Mark Meadows. It appears to be a panel that's looking for a way not to assert its jurisdiction to rule on the case, because the first things that appellate courts do federal appellate courts especially, even up to the Supreme Court. The first thing they do is look look for the exits and look if there's a way not to even rule on the case because the, there's either lack of standing by the party that's brought the case or the court just doesn't have jurisdiction over the matter. And so that's the first thing because these courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. They don't, they don't say, everybody come, we'll appeal whatever you want, we'll listen to it. No. They have they have limited power and limited jurisdiction by way of the Constitution and otherwise, and by and by court precedent and rules and law. And so the the fact that they're asking, should we even be here? Do we even need to be uh, resolving this issue? Can't we just end it right now because we make the decision that this only applies? This federal officer removal statute only applies to current, not former. Now, I looked up the law before we got on this hot take. I can tell you there is very little law on the area of this particular provision and, and how it's applied to former versus uh, current. Everybody just makes the assumption that if you, were, if you had the title of a federal officer, you're able to use this. But if you look, Karen, at the underpinnings of the, what's the reason we have this rule on the books? It is to stop states from meddling in federal functions. But that's not what we have here. We don't have, if the indictment is right, okay, and we all believe it is, that we don't have a state meddling in Mark Meadows' affairs. We have Mark Meadows and the federal officers meddling in a state prosecution. The arrow is running in, the, in a different direction, meaning it, it, if you look if you have to look to the public purpose of what Congress intended to get the intent of the statute, which is what these, this briefing that they now require is going to address on both sides over the next couple of days, then 
you have to say, well, why are we even here? He does I mean, if if the purpose of federal officer removal is to stop a state from interfering on the federal side and and criminalizing something because they don't like a federal function, that's not the RICO conspiracy that's been alleged. So, Karen, what do you think about this um, present tense use of the term officer, their request that you compare and contrast the two sections of the removal statute to comment on that and then sort of bringing in this the congressional intent and what what do you think it means for for Meadows and his chances of success on appeal? Well, it's interesting because Fonnie Willis conceded that he was a federal officer. So now that she's being asked to brief this, what is she going to say? Oops, I made a mistake. Uh, he's no he's not a federal officer. Or is she going to say, uh, you know, I think he is a federal officer. So it's just sort of interesting the situation she's put herself in by conceding that first prong. She argued most of her, you know, she hung her argument on the second and third prong of federal officer removal. I think the courts are going to look at all the cases that both civil and criminal, there've been many, many, many removal cases that have been brought. Uh, I, as, you, as you said, the law doesn't doesn't appear to address this question, but you can still look at the cases and see, are the litigants, uh, are they, you know, are the defendants in those cases, are they former or current, you know, are they still working, right? Like you can imagine an FBI agent who shot someone during a search warrant, you know, resigning or getting fired and, and maybe getting prosecuted and still seeking removal I think there'd be strong argument to say, well, all the cases say that, uh, you know, that this, even though they're, they're a former, they still got removal, that that's what the law is. But if no, if no courts have ruled on that, they could rule differently, right? They could say, look, no one's ever addressed this issue. I'm going to now look at the congressional intent behind this. I'm going to look at analogous types of law like the alien removal where Congress expressly included language. And since this is silent, you know, Congress knows how to put in expressly language if they wanted it, but they didn't, you know, there's, they will do a deep dive analysis behind both the legislative intent as well as uh, the the plain language used, and they will make a ruling if there's a split in circuits, for example. So if they let's say they rule that uh, that it only applies to current, not former, yet there's all these other cases out there that allowed former uh, federal officers to seek removal. That's recipe for Supreme Court, right? I mean, the Supreme Court will take this anyway, just given who who, you know, the case and who the litigants are. But, but I still think that, uh, that, that could be, that could give rise to Supreme Court, you know, looking at this for that reason too, having, having a, uh, what, what they would characterize as a split in the circuit, in the circuit. So, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting legal question that they have until tomorrow to brief. Um, so it's on a very fast track. I don't think this is going to be, you know, they, they gave a 10 page, uh, limit so that they don't, you know, they don't um, put a, a, a horn book into evidence, you know, and and really just make it make it kind of crisp and 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 quick and and let's see, you know, we we have a we have a, a, a legal AF coming a full full legal AF coming uh, coming tomorrow. I'm sure we will be able to brief this. Um, you know, we'll we'll have more information that we can bring to everybody and and discuss this further. So. 
you know what, I, I will, we'll, we'll be doing this tomorrow. Um, just two more things. Number one, speaking of legal AF, like my t-shirt. <laughs> Wasn't sure where that was going, but I appreciated that. <laughs> and, uh, and number two, Popak, I wanted to officially congratulate you <laughs> on your, on your big news of the weekend where you, you finally made it official and, uh, you got married. So congrats to you. <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to, you're going to break lots of hearts, you know, of, of <laughs> many, many people out there, but but uh, congrats to you. You look appreciate appreciate look that colleague, happy. colleague, and part of my legal AF family. So um, that's a wrap. <laughs> We've hit the end, right? So follow Karen and me on Wednesdays on Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network. Ben and me on Saturdays on the Legal AF Network, and check out the new website for the Midas Touch Network, which is at www. I guess we're still using that. MidasTouch.com for all. Karen writes there. They got a whole newsroom now that's writing original content. Our audio video is all there as well. It's a great place to hang out during the week and help, help Midas Touch get to 2 million free subscribers on YouTube. Be the 2 millionth. Maybe Karen will throw in one of those nice t-shirts. Until then... <laughs> Until the next hot take that Karen and me do together. Separately. I will. I'll get, I will. I will commit to that. All right, Karen will throw person, it. I will send a T-shirt. Okay, perfect. Be the two millionth <laughs> person. Until the next hot take for Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, and Michael Popak. This is Michael and Karen signing off. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.